0: on a, on one day, that's a really useful thing. So yeah, it was kind of just, you know, doing a Monday and then if I didn't get in, playing something else nearby that week, that's kind of how I did it for a while.
1: This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Patrick, starting from the beginning is where we go. We usually start where people got into the game of golf right now. We know you just wrapped up your pro career. You're going to start doing some therapy and counseling and you're pro for a while. And you played at Stanford before all that. Tell us what got you into the game of golf and kind of your junior progression.
0: Yeah, I started when I was picked up a club for the first time when I was three. My dad, i realized now my dad is itching to get out to the range. And so he just started bringing me with him. And that was kind of how it started. It was before there were really any junior sets of clubs or anything like that. It's like the mid-90s. So junior golf wasn't wasn't the biggest thing at the time. And uh, so I just took some of his clubs and had like a split grip hockey swing on the range. So that's kind of how I started just just you know kind of swinging the club and
1: yeah it started early for you and you also from what it seems like you had an incredible work ethic for someone your age i know there's an article i read about uh you where your mom was talking about how much you practice as a kid and again we're not talking like 13 15 year old talking very young and you practice until you got blisters on your hand what kind of got you so deep into the game that you're like man this is this is what i want to spend my time doing that deeply at such a young age
0: <laughs> that's a good question i it's funny cuz my parents tell me that from the beginning they they didn't have an explanation either it was kind of like conveniently as a little little kid just take me out there and i just couldn't get away from it it was like the playground or something i guess i just it sort of was the first thing that made made me realize i have that sort of one dimensional obsession sometimes where I'll just, you know, I just can't, I can't really stop and I I get fixated and maybe golf was how that was just the reason that all started that way. You know, don't know which chicken or the egg type thing, but, but yeah, it was just, I think, you know, there's, there's so much to get better at. And um, it's, I just enjoyed, you know, whacking the ball around and just trying to see what I could do to, to get better and really just try to like hit it further when I was a little kid. That was always something I really wanted to do was just bomb it, swing hard.
2: Was there a certain type or certain time that you started playing in competitions? And did this affect, you know, your work ethic, make you want to work harder, get better and beat people? Or did you kind of just always have that work ethic regardless?
0: I played my first junior tournament when I was seven. I think there's the NorCal junior scene was was competitive at that point. There's this little tour called the JGA and C, which I think is still around, but, um, they had, they had tournaments all over the Bay area and NorCal area, and there was a good competitive group of kids playing. So the first tournament I ever played was, um, was down here when I was seven, there were just nine whole tournaments. And that definitely got the competitive itch going for me. There's, was, there's was plenty of kids my age playing and, lots of stuff to do over the summer. So I kind of, from like seven, eight, nine years old and on all the way through middle school, that that was basically my summer, was just all the NorCal junior circuit. And we would, we would go around from place to place, just playing all those tournaments and having fun and messing around and putting in the hotel hallways at night. And just, uh, yeah, definitely it, having that group of, that same group of kids that we always competed against. We, we definitely wanted to beat each other all the time.
1: You mentioned you had a one track mind in the sense that you get really focused on golf and you went on and you played at Stanford. At what point in time did you decide, Hey, I want to go play college golf. Or from that young age where you're like, Hey, that that's what I want to go do. I want to go play college golf. I want to play at the highest level I can. How did you kind of get to there?
0: I think I was fortunate enough to have some success at the local level to, you know, right around the, like maybe seventh, eighth grade age was kind of realizing like, all right, I'm doing well in this, in this area here. I'm competing well and winning some tournaments and, um, you know, growing up around here, Stanford was a huge deal. So I was kind of exposed to it all along. And then especially with Tiger, you know, loving Tiger, loving Stanford because of that. And so it was kind of one of those things in the back of my mind where it's like, if I can just that's my goal, if I can just keep getting better. And uh fortunately, somewhere during that time, they started doing the these golf camps at Stanford. So during the winter time, during my winter break, I started going to these winter camps and got to know coach Conrad Ray pretty well through that. And, and just luckily things worked out well enough to where I was on a path where it was like, yeah, just, you know, uh, keep going and we want you to come play on the team and just keep your grades up. And, and it, I was lucky. Yeah. It was fortunate that I was playing well enough to get recruited
2: at that time. During this time, I believe it, you're during your last two years, you'd play with Maverick McNeely on the team who, became the number one amateur in the world. What was it like playing with him? And I know he also has, it's been well-documented that he has a very strong work ethic. And how did you guys, you know, bounce things off each other make each other better? Yeah, Mav
0: Mav's progression was pretty unbelievable, honestly. Like that kid is just such a freak athlete. Like he played hockey in high school and, you know, came into college talking about how he, he was only playing golf, like maybe, six months out of the year at the most when he came into college. And, you know, I don't know if he had the highest of expectations his freshman year, but he just kept, he just kept getting better when he showed up throughout his whole freshman year, just went from, you know, in the fall, not really playing a lot of the tournaments or, or at least kind of being in and out to, you know, I don't remember the exact timeline, but somewhere within the next year, he was already like way up towards that point, just progressing super, super fast. I mean, I've, I've never seen anybody get better that quickly. And especially, you know, especially that type of a jump, like it's one thing to go from shooting a hundred to breaking 80 in a fairly short period of time or breaking 90, whatever, but he was going from, you know, not quite starting in the lineup to like top of the country and in a very short time. So he was just The thing about, I noticed about him right off the bat was just how organized he was and disciplined, like, you know, very, very structured, very clear on what he wanted to do to get better, how he was going to do it. And, you know, a lot of people make those plans and kind of go through the motions and get mixed results, but he was just like, yeah, he did that and it's just, I'm going to win 11 times and three years or whatever it was, you know, and it's kind of been the same thing since he turned pro just kind of going like this. It's, it's fun to watch him do that, see how he's doing with it.
1: That is cool. You said he didn't, you know, come out of the gate playing a lot, but I know that you came out your freshman year, you played in nine events, I think, and you even had a top 10 or tied for 10th at one of the events. Tell us a little bit what the difference was like going from playing junior tournaments to playing all of a sudden, uh, championship, like full championship golf courses with a really strong field.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a big jump for me. I mean, the, the very first college tournament I played was at Olympia fields. So us open golf course, super thick, rough, uh, not a lot of low scores. In fact, I think Patrick Rogers won the tournament shooting like one or two under par. So it was just a total grind right out of the gate. It was so much fun, but it was definitely like, wow, okay, this is some serious, serious golf. And, you know, obviously really good players, not shooting super low scores. So I I fell in love with that aspect of it. We got, we definitely got really spoiled. Stanford's still playing an in incredible schedule in the fall with the rotation of courses that they play. You know, in a way there, some of those college events are like, you know way better than what you see in most pro events honestly it's like kind of the level of courses you get to when the higher level pga tour events um so it taught me a lot it taught me a lot about my what i needed to get to in terms of ball striking i think that was the consistency aspect of that was something that held me back during that time and kind of was a little bit of my Achilles all throughout college and, and onward is just the, the consistency, but those courses and those tournaments will expose that pretty quickly.
1: So as your ball striking got exposed, what did you decide to do to get better at that particular area? Have you, had you been working with a swing coach as a junior? And did you go back to them and say, Hey, I need more. What did you, what did you do to get better?
0: Yeah, I went into I went into college in a little bit of a train a little up in the air with my instruction, not, a, not a lot going on in terms of what I was working on. And then uh, I was kind of, you know, doing it on my own a little bit informally and just focused on I throughout my freshman year, I just started working on hitting hitting a cut and trying to just like keep it in play, you know, especially off the tee by just keeping the ball flight down a little bit more. and and trying to just get it going left to right with some consistency. Um, the way I was doing that kind of led to some bad habits and, and kind of led me to, you know, not really be able to shape it at all or have really any flexibility with how I could curve the ball. So it was kind of limiting after a while. It helped for for a bit, especially, you know, just getting it in play. Um, but then after my freshman year, I started working with a different guy who was, a a butch harmon trained guy in the area and i did that for for most of the rest of my college career so i had I had some consistency in what i was working on kind of my last two or three years in college with the mechanical stuff
2: you know, something i want to touch on is something that all college golfers struggle with but i want to hear your perspective on this balancing school and golf is hard for any student in college but i can imagine it's especially hard at an academically demanding school like Stanford. How did you balance school and golf and workouts and social life? And why don't you kind of walk through a day um, in the life of, you know, what you went through as a college golfer?
0: I think a big, big part of it is how much you're going to take on, regardless of where you go to school with academics. Like workload-wise, I kind of knew there was some stuff that I probably wasn't going to be able to balance too well. That's another another thing about Mav I, that I remember that was just like not even human. He was in, on top of all that, he was in a super tough major. So I don't know how he's doing that. For me, psychology felt pretty manageable with the classes. I felt like, I felt like the structure worked pretty well for golf because you weren't forced to be like, you know, grinding on the workload every single week necessarily You had reading and stuff, but it was kind of like a, a paper to a midterm and a final as compared to maybe some of the more math or engineering classes where you were doing like problem sets every single week. So that was that was part of it was was the, the major I was in. In terms of uh, a day in the life, like on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we would have team workouts in the morning around 6.45. So get up around 6.15, make our way to the gym, work out till eight a lot of times we would go as a team and just have breakfast somewhere nearby after our workout those are those are some of my best memories I really enjoyed those times a lot yeah we usually would try to get all our classes done in the morning so have class usually from like nine to twelve nine to one and then on those particular days um, usually have a team practice for maybe like one to four one to five something like that and come back and have dinner do do a little bit of work and and hang out so the it definitely required us to be pretty structured with our time in the evening to where it's like you know not a lot of not as much time to just go hang out with friends in the evening because you know while they were doing work during the day we just had more golf stuff going on So that was probably the biggest difference.
1: What did a team practice look like for you guys? How organized or unorganized was it specifically?
0: Our team practices would usually be fairly structured for a certain amount of time. So we would have a few tasks to knock out. Usually it would be a mix of kind of like blocked practice where, you know, it was like hitting a certain certain like a wedge drill you know getting on a track man and and having a certain number of balls and yardages that you were doing with wedges uh that might be one task but then you know there would be one or two other things that were usually competitive so we would pair off and do you know like a an 18 hole putting match against a a partner or like a you know two balls closest to the pin type of match around the greens. We were lucky that our, our practice facility, you could kind of drive around in a cart and hit shots. So you could, you could do a competition, just hitting all kinds of different shots closest to the hole, something like that. And then usually we would come back toward the end. A lot of times we would do some sort of putting thing, like kind of a gut check team putting thing where everyone was watching and you you'd, we'd have to all make a five foot putt. In a row with the whole team, we all start over or whatever if uh if somebody missed it, or we a lot of times we'd do that with a driving driving drill, just like a pretty narrow fairway that was set up and have to all hit the fairway or seven out of ten or whatever and those were those were super pressure packed too so something just kind of just you know get the block practice, get the competitive, and then you know something with the whole team is pretty much what they look like
1: it sounds like You guys had in mind too with those finishing drills that you were going to focus on a tournament, like essentially bring in a lot of the tournament work right there. And you're going to have that pressure of a tournament. When it came to getting ready for tournaments, what did you guys do as a team to prepare for a tournament together?
0: Yeah, good question. A lot of it had to do with the golf course. So we're really lucky in this area there's in there's a really large variety of courses around here and like different styles of courses, even some different grasses. So so Conrad did a really good job of, uh, you know, we would base we would base a lot of our qualifying team rounds around places that would be play kind of similar. so, we'd get out near the ocean if we were going to you know getting ready for Hawaii or something like that, play some somewhere a little bit windier or uh, you know get up in the hills a little bit more if we're playing a tree line course with some smaller greens or things like that. So uh, I think it would help the players get ready to you know adapt to kind of something like what we were gonna see in the tournament and then also. Um, since we were qualifying it just it helped figure out the lineup you know on a style of course that we were about to go play so you know we'd be the as prepared as we could be for that
2: and once you got to the site of the tournament I know college practice rounds are just brutally long you guys are playing fivesomes trying to practice shots around the greens or whatever you you know feel like doing but like more specifically what did you guys do in a practice round was there things that your all's coach wanted you to do or made you guys do or was it kind of up to you guys on how you wanted to approach practice rounds
0: we yeah like you said we would all we would play them all together there's a, a lot of limiting limiting factors in college golf when you travel there is a big one you know with in terms of traveling hours and the school and NCAA rules and all that stuff so you know, i think you know, like tour guys, a lot of the times like to split up their practice rounds into nine hole chunks, but you can't do that in college. And we were all on the same schedule, getting there in one van, all that kind of stuff. So we would knock out the the whole round in one day. Um, A lot of it had to do with the coaches bringing old yardage books and kind of remembering where the pins were. So the older players kind of taking the reins on the tee boxes and explaining what was going on uh, in terms of club selection and things like that. So, you know, it's kind of looking at the book on every hole, definitely with the older guys that had been there sort of taking the reins or the coaches, um, explaining stuff and then just using the old pin locations to throw down some teas or some, you know, rubber cups or whatever, just hit, hitting some putts to those areas and just having a lot of really open communication about anything that if anyone had been there before, what they remembered, where they missed it, where you can, can, and can't leave it. And, um, you know, just strategy stuff kind of like that based on experience.
1: When it came to playing in those actual tournaments, how did you approach them as far as from a mental perspective? I know it can be a hard thing to focus on a tournament, especially when, you know, you know, you're playing in the tournament, but you know, there's a lot more, going on and that you put, you play in this tournament, but it's also related to your team that like you want to play in the next tournament, et cetera. And you guys had mm-hmm. qualifying, but I imagine you had coaches picks too. You know, there's some pressure there. How did you keep that segregated from your mind? And then also once you finished up a round of a tournament, how did you determine whether it was success or a failure or what did you do to learn from that?
0: That was this, that was actually a skill in college that I really struggled with, honestly playing for the team and representing the team I, and I was kind of always I played a lot but I was also in and out of the lineup a lot you know like I unfortunately felt like I had a little bit of a pattern of getting to the tournaments and uh, and not really you know playing some good rounds but not logging the finishes that I wanted so I, I had luckily contributed to a lot of throughout the tournament in terms of scoring but in terms of my own finishes I wasn't generally doing quite well enough to qualify automatically for the next one. So that was, that was a tough balance. I think that's actually something that uh, is really tough about college golf. It's really hard to, to just go out there and play your game for some people. I mean, that's all, that's all you need to be doing, but when uh, you, you have a lot more riding on it. So it's, it's very important to just be present and, focus on each shot and just, you know, in all the little, little details, really, I feel like I, that was not, that wasn't the easiest part for me. I I felt like, uh, I felt like I was, if I had started spiraling a little bit in the middle of a round, I felt like I was letting the team down. So kind of one of those things that's easy, easy to say, but a little tougher to do sometimes. So.
1: Yeah. It's something that we talk about is it's very easy as a college golfer to shoot. 81 and say i am daniel 81 uh or (laughs) shoots play bad and say that that's who i am and it can make it tough especially if if teammates um or individuals who indulge that behavior make it tough on the entire team because if somebody believes that about themselves and then also like takes it out on other people it can make it a hard team environment. How did the team handle, you know, finishing up around Like some guys play good, some guys play bad. That's just the nature of it. As a team, was it something where you guys would come together afterwards and it was over or was there more talk after the tournament? And how did you guys try to deal with that self-perception?
0: Luckily, the challenging and the good part about college golf is, it's pretty easy or you can redeem yourself pretty quickly. So, you know, even if you do have, that 81 round in there, luckily if, if the tournament keeps going, you might not, you know, 68 might not change your finish in the tournament by a ton, but it will, it can help the team a lot just with the, you know, five counting top four type of structure. Um, so there's a lot of motivation day to day, regardless of how you're doing, cause you can really, really help the team. So I would say, you know, the environment, it was always the player who was struggling that was the hardest on themselves. There's no doubt about that. So the team was always really good about being very encouraging and, and just keeping hyper-focused on whatever we can do to, to improve or try to win the tournament. And so I found, you know, the, the everything to be really, really supportive in that way.
1: And so when you guys wrapped up tournaments or you in particular, if you, you finish up a tournament it's all, it's all over. How did you determine whether it was success or failure? Did you keep a journal? Did you just mentally note things? And then what did you do from that to know what to work on before your next tournament?
0: When I was there, there weren't quite as many like stat trackers as there are now that are as good, but it was kind of the same principle. We would all, we would all keep track of the basics in terms of our numbers and just sort of get a get a priority of what we needed to look for in terms of getting ready for the next event. So that was a big one I think is just the numbers we would usually kind of meet with our coaches and get their their take on what it was how the tournament went and you know what where things could have been better and stuff like that. I think they were good at at helping us figure out, you know, like a progression throughout the year so you know if it was later in the season they were they were good at keeping guys in check about not you know diving too much into the swing stuff or you know just making sure that that you're you're focused on the pieces that matter at at any given point in the season because it's not always it's not always the same thing there's there's a time and a place to work on certain areas so Really big on short game. I I think that was a a piece that you know just tracking basic stuff like three putts or bogeys with wedges, um, cleaning all that stuff up. I think that's an area that really separates college players, even top college players, from PGA Tour level.
1: Yeah, I think even even without strokes gained, it was out it was out there, but it really hadn't become as popularized. You didn't have decade out there yet all that all that kind of stuff but even then it's amazing when i think about like keeping stats etc and we've been working internally on hey if we were gonna give somebody something to keep the a tournament think about a tournament what would they do besides strokes gained that what you mentioned right there the tiger five like that's that's a pretty good marker all all things considered that that really can help encapsulate and give you feedback on a round because that bogeys with wedges in hand, three putts, et cetera, those those types of mistakes are really some of the big ones that can cause you problems. Now, moving on from that, you talked about the pressure that comes with playing in college golf. Some of the mentality issues. I have two questions kind of on that topic, but first, was there a, was there a sports psychologist or anyone that you or the team worked with to kind of help on that front, or did you guys consult with anybody?
0: There's a couple people in college that that we talked to, in different different structures. There's a guy that I had met through through Stanford Golf, even at the, actually at the golf camps before I started, named Neil Smith. He's a, a sports psych guy who has worked with a bunch of tour players in the past. Um, some major winners. Even he's worked with Mark Leishman a lot in the past. That was one of his guys. And so he he was involved with the team. Would kind of talk to us periodically and and give us some some stuff to do. Um, he was big on on really being organized with the performance stuff, like kind of equally separating out all the pieces of your game, including the mental stuff, and giving like kind of equal time to each aspect and really balancing everything not not hyper focusing too much on one area. So that was a big thing that we learned from him. And then a couple times while we were there, we had like kind of a one day seminar with um oh I think their names they're Lynn and Pia, the Vision 54. But yeah. They're the they went through some stuff with us and it it was it was kind of a crash course for a day, but they would they would give us a lot of stuff that we came away with too that was really helpful.
1: That makes sense. It's a good tool, especially colleges, you know, it's nice that they have access to those individuals who are willing to help out and make things better. I know we've worked, we worked with some when I was in college and I still keep up with some of them. As far as what we talked about, as you said, you know, it's difficult mentally, like knowing the pressure you have, you ended up going, going pro. How did the pressure that comes from college golf and being in a tournament there translate to playing professional golf and being in tournaments there where, okay, it's not your starting spot that's riding on it. You're not letting down the team, but if you don't play well, you're not getting status. You're not making money, like things, things that affect your livelihood.
0: Luckily, I think that college structure prepared me pretty well for that. So I'm lucky that I had that experience. Um, it was it was very new to be like traveling by myself and be in charge of all my logistics. And I did that in South America a little bit and I was like a you know 23, 24, not knowing what I was doing, type of thing. So I think the college experience really helped me a lot in terms of organizing all that stuff in terms of pressure. It's definitely a lot different. I think the biggest difference is how one event will affect you for a really, really long period of time. In college, it's, you know, it's one event to the next. And obviously, that's, that's a big deal getting that experience. But um, I think the the toughest part for me was knowing that, you know, a Q school will set you up for the entire year. And um, just knowing that you're not, you don't have that many opportunities to, to make that jump super quickly. I think that's, that's unfortunately an area where a lot of guys get stuck is they're right there. And if they just had more chances more often, they'd be fine. But, you know, that's a lot. Three times at Q school is not a lot for most people, but you know, that's spread over a long period of time. Right. So I think that the pressure that that comes with that sort of gap in time and the consequence of it kind of being like, you're either you're either making it through and playing on tour and some events and having a schedule, or you're just way more up in the air having to play Monday qualifiers or mini tours. So that, that pressure was definitely, I think what kind of heightened everything the most for me.
1: As far as playing on tours, playing in Q school, tell us a little bit about your professional journey as far as what you did coming out of school and how that kind of has played out so far.
0: The first like major stuff I did, I guess, was Latin America tour. So I got some status out there and, and kind of didn't, I got, I got my card, but didn't really have a have status to get into tournaments until kind of the later part of the season. So I got into some stuff and qualified for some stuff down there too. Sort of like the second half and played played some of that. Didn't do great down there. I mean, I played some events and got in and was just kind of hovering around the cut line most of the time. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't really anything great in terms of results. And then uh, fast forward a couple more years, my, I guess my best year was in Q school. I, I should have made it to final stage, but I didn't. So that, progression all the way through was kind of some of the be- better golf I was playing during that time but yeah I mean I look back on it and just kind of putting my foot in the door but not quite getting there is sort of how I how I look how I did how I was kind of my pattern I guess like I qualified for a corn ferry event Monday qualified um in 2019 and then for the Valero Texas open in 2021. So, you know, I got there at times, but didn't quite have that, make that jump to some higher finishes or, you know, being able to play a, a full year on a tour anywhere. Yeah.
1: I mean, as you kind of mentioned earlier, like if you don't get enough bites of the apple or anything like that, it can, it can, it can be hard. Cause there are very few, shots out there there's only a couple tours you can get status on and even if you get like pseudo status you still might not actually be in the vent and especially when you're dealing with latin america you might not be in the vent and you got if you're going to be an alternate you kind of got to go down B on site so you could be eighth alternate. we had a buddy on uh corn fairy was dealing with this billy tom who was uh dropped a few episodes ago and they're playing down in i think it might have been panama i can't remember what event it was but the it was the bahamas event that was it um Mm -hmm. the the night before the night before two days before he was he was eighth alternate and then they give him a call say hey we think you're going to be first alternate can you get down here and he's like well unless someone has a private jet that i can use he tweeted it out and got got no love and wasn't able (laughs) to get the private jet but unless someone has that like i can't make it down there in time to be able to get going to those events. So it's the same thing with those South America events like yeah, you might have status but and but you might not have full status and then all of a sudden you got to wait that out to be able to get in there. As far as playing in those events goes, you you mentioned a Q school and you said that you should have made it to final stage and I know that can be a tough thing to talk about and it's not uh it's not very fun in the sense of like it feels like you're so close and you know that hey, if this did happen then you know, you got some sort of status somewhere, like things kind of change. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you. The particular one where you mentioned, Hey, I should, I should have, I felt like I should have made it here. And what you have learned from that.
0: That was 2019. So a few years ago now, uh, I've been just kind of on a like had a really good thing going with my game and my coaching and swing and stuff. And just, really everything was pretty stable throughout the whole year, like a very consistent trajectory of improvement. Uh, I went to first stage and finished like fifth or something like that. So I kind of cruised through first stage, which was, uh, the first time I had, had done that and got to second stage, um, at Bear Creek in, in Southern California and, uh, trying to remember the, general progression of the tournament really but i was the first day i remember the greens were like running 15 on the stimp or something they were freaking out that if there was any wind that it was going to be unplayable it was like it was insane how fast the greens were so it was really tough i think i shot like one under and i was top 10 so it was it was pretty challenging conditions throughout the week and the last day i was maybe like a couple shots outside the number um and just i i remember being you know maybe four or five last four or five holes being within one of what i thought the number was going to be and kind of hit a a really good wedge shot that went 15 feet past on this par three and uh just left a super tough putt uh, three putt of that and um the next hole kind of had to draw three wood off the tee and thought I hit a pretty good one and the wind caught it and it kicked into a hazard. So made double there. So I went from being like kind of right on or one outside the number with three holes to go to like a, a silly three putt, a tough lip out. And then a, what I thought was a good tee shot leading to a double. So I think that was the toughest part about that was just feeling like it was very situational stuff that, uh, that cost me, you know, not feeling like I made any huge mistakes. So that was probably the toughest part about that. I think was, you know, looking back on, it's just, is looking at situationally how things could have gone differently.
1: I I can, I can imagine. It's not easy when you can look back and see that, you know, you did the best you can, or you like did you did you did about as much as you could with the situation and even, and then it didn't pan out for you. When it came to when it comes to like the rest of your pro career, we talked about that Q school. We talked about, you know, you played some on Latin America, you played some, uh played event on Cornfair, you played once on the PGA tour, I believe, as well. Tell us a little bit, one about the other events that you played, did you play any mini tour events to keep your tournament experience going? What was that like? And tell us a little bit about that.
0: I played Latin tour. And then after, after those years, I kind of decided I was going to mainly stick to the States so do Q school. And then throughout the year, I would play a bunch of Mondays, Monday qualifiers and kind of sprinkle some mini tours in between that. So there's like the APT tour, the all pro, events, those are kind of closely followed the corn Ferry Mondays. Um, there's a tour in California here, the golden state tour that I played some of those. Um, and then, you know, throughout the summer, usually there was kind of a series of, you know, like state open tournaments or just independent open pro events that a lot of guys would go play for a check that were good prep for Q school. So I would, Try to do as many qualifiers as I could, Um, and that really helped me figure out some of the holes in my game in terms of scoring. I think that uh, if I could suggest one thing to guys that are trying to play more, it's try to get in as many of those as you can, because it just teaches you to have to show up and shoot seven, eight under on on one day. That's a really useful thing. So yeah, it was kind of just you know doing a Monday. And then if I didn't get in playing something else nearby that week, that's kind of how I did it for a while.
1: That makes sense. I know that when it comes to that kind of getting that kind of feedback, we've talked about it on here before, but tournament golf is a different beast than going out and playing with your buddies. Even if your buddies are really good, it's, it's a different beast getting under that pressure situation. So the more reps you can get with that, the better. I want to talk a little bit about the technique Work that you've done as well. I know that you've worked with Jeff Smith out of Las Vegas. Tell us a little bit about how that relationship started and what you've kind of learned working with him. Because I know he's worked with a lot of good players we know and guys that uh, we're friends with that work with him. I think Sean Tipton works with him still. There's a bunch Mm -hmm. of guys that work with him, and I like from his philosophy. I like where he's gone with it. So tell us a little bit about what that's been like.
0: Yeah, I connected with Jeff. Patrick Rogers, who's one of my best friends. My teammate at Stanford was working with him. We kind of started around the same time. That was that was when I first connected with Jeff. That was about that was 2017. And then um, so I started working with him on my game and got to spend a lot more time with him in 2018. I was caddying for Patrick. Um, so he was he was kind of the first guy to help me understand had kind of a trend in the feedback I would get from people where they would look at my swing and not really be able to tell me anything in terms of something that stood out to them and but you know that wasn't helpful at all because I wasn't hitting it great and just kind of frustrated by that feedback you know um, Jeff was kind of the first person to look at it and and feel like oh yeah there's I'm not surprised that you're struggling with, with that consistency So that was a breath of fresh air, honestly. I think he's really unbelievably good at looking at the different, uh, he calls them matchups in the golf swing. So kind of understanding the relationship between different movements in the body and how they go together. And, you know, two pieces, it might not stand out to the naked eye, but if they don't go together, he can, he can help you understand why that's gonna, you know, manipulate the club face or, or not really, line up with some of the goals you're trying to get to in your ball flight. So he was really good at giving me a couple drills that helped me just helped me use my body rotation a little more effectively. I think that was the biggest thing. So that really got the club face a lot more stable through the ball. And it helped me be able to work the ball a little more left to right, but higher and not, not overspinning it. I think that's, something he's he's really really good at is is optimizing the ball flight
1: tell us a little bit more in specificity about like the specific problem you are having because it sounds like what you said like when it comes to rotation that's something that i know he and a lot of those guys in a similar genre are focused on is you know making sure you have rotation what that allows you to do is keep that club face more uh stable and then ostensibly as far as D plane and other things goes improves that. So tell us a little bit more specifically about kind of the issue that you were having when you went to him and what he saw in, far, as far as getting you the right matchup.
0: The biggest thing when I showed up was I, I had a lot of like early role of the club face behind me. So basically I would get, I would kind of get my wrist really bowed early in the backswing and that would Get the club just tracking really far behind me uh, early. And basically, my arms would just like keep going way behind me in the backswing. And, you know, when I was doing that, it would, it would cause, it would kind of lock me out on my right side at the top of my backswing. Like I would kind of just get all my weight way behind me, but almost like too shallow of a turn, too deep and too shallow of a turn. And so, in order to compensate for that, I would basically just kind of drop my arms um, and kind of stall all my rotation and just sort of hold the face off. So, it would slow the club down because I was dragging it. And it would also just be like I would either, you know, hold it off some amount and kind of hit it straight, or I would just pull it because the club face would eventually just turn over too early. So, He got me, you know, working with like kind of a with a stick behind me to just get the club setting more, get my arms in front of me a little bit more in the backswing, and that would kind of give me some room to actually turn and let the club have a room to let the club fall behind me. So that was a lot of time. A lot of players come and and need a lot more depth in their swing, and I was kind of the opposite for a long time. I actually needed to decrease some of that so that you know i could actually turn my body and not be stuck behind me in the backswing
2: it's interesting to hear um somebody who worked with jeff smith actually work on getting less depth because you always Mm -hmm. think of one of his main things is getting more uh, arm depth um Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you got a pretty advanced understanding of the golf swing which brings me to my next question which is I know that you've done some swing coaching since you turned pro. How what kind of perspective has this given you to teach the golf swing and um how how deep have you gotten into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure as you guys know it's a deep deep rabbit hole. <laughs> and I feel like I have, I'm it's a, especially close to my heart cuz I I think my my right around my age was right. When like YouTube was first becoming a thing and instruction, there was a lot more, there was a lot more variety of swing philosophies that I think there, there's not so much of that now. So I, I do feel like I was a little bit, I wish I'd had better information at an early age is, you know, that it's such a critical time when you're in high school and early college. I really, really believe that, you know, building your game around good information is so important. Um, So, yeah, I just would really dive into some of that stuff. And that's when I found Jeff was when I felt like I really started to understand it better. He's, I would say, the main reason I feel like I have a better understanding than I used to. I still, the hardest part about coaching and I, you know, I was, pretty very clear on my own patterns but getting to the source of patterns for different players is is really tough it takes a lot of practice i'm pretty new to where i've kind of helped a lot of people informally over the years just um you know my friends know i'm i'm a total geek about the golf swing so they would kind of ask me stuff but formal coaching is like kind of the last couple months for me so Yeah, I'm really enjoying learning about the different, different matchups and different ways to approach it. I think the biggest thing that I'm learning is, you know, it takes, you got to be precise and careful about it. There seems to usually be one or two little pieces for each golf swing that, that cause like a whole chain reaction. So finding that source and then kind of finding the simplest way to communicate it without You know, you don't have to give the person or the player all the information necessarily. If you tell them that one thing, you could hopefully show them five other things that clean up as a result of that. And doing that for all the different patterns is, uh, it's fun, but it's definitely, it's definitely challenging.
1: That is cool. You said that you started doing more coaching recently. Another thing that you've decided to do is you're going to focus more and start using your psychology degree in order to actually start practicing. Tell us a little bit about that decision, the thought process behind it and what the future kind of looks like for you.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where, how the this will combine with, with golf stuff for me, but mental health has been a big part of my journey with golf. And I think it's something that is, is new to the conversation, but really important. I think it's something a lot of people struggle with in golf. You know, especially competitive golf can really consume your life, and um, you know, just it's hard to it's hard to keep the the larger perspective in mind when you're when you're grinding every single week and it's not going well, and you're trying to pull yourself out of that. So that I think that struggle for me was how my interest in that world got started. I think also I'm I'm really interested in um, where sports psychology is at right now. I think that field is a little bit lacking in terms of golf in some ways. You know, there's, there's a lot of great information out there, but I think there's sometimes a tendency to, you know, like hyper fixate on the performance side of things and not look so much at the full person. And I think that that is a huge part of performance is looking at the whole person. Cause I think your golf will bring up all of your, it'll bring up your stuff like to the surface. And, you know, the more that you can be aware of that and figure out your patterns and where they, just like your golf swing, you know, figuring out your, your patterns with your mind and your, your past and your background. I think that, you know, if you can build that and start to, you know learn learn what your patterns are and and be more aware it can help you you know be more focused while you're playing and and then perform better so combining the more traditional psychology stuff with with the golf is an area that I'm looking to get into that I don't really know of too many people that are doing anything quite like that right now, so that's what's exciting to me.
1: I think you're dead on in the sense that. When it comes to the golf swing if you have a slice or something like that you could go to a golf instructor and they can put a band-aid on it but it's a much bigger problem than that most of the time and it's the same thing with playing golf and golf performance yeah they can get you to perform better but a lot of the things that are holding you back from performing better in golf are really problems you have throughout your life and so i'm excited to see how that shapes for you and kind of how you make that your own special niche, so we're excited to see that from you. As far as looking back, the last question we ask every guest is, if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be?
0: I think with my own personal journey with it, i really I wish I had hammered out my the mechanical stuff at an earlier age, so like I don't regret making changes to my swing because it was very clear that my ball striking was just not at a tour level. And I was kind of always on a quest to get there. I just wish that I had had access to that. The information I have now, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. So I would say looking, you know, the advice I would give is, do that work early and then just roll with it. Like, doesn't have to be perfect as long as you're, as long as you're clear on what your patterns are and they stay the same and you can decrease that clutter that some of the golf swing stuff can cause, you know, you're going to be fine. I think a lot of players have this perfectionist obsession, which all of us do. And that's great it's great to try to get there, but it's also valuable to know what your misses are and to have some consistency. If you can, you can play, you can have a miss on one side of the course and still play at any level. You don't have to be striping it all the time. You have to be able to stand on a, on 18 at Sawgrass and know that you're, you're only going to miss a little bit, right. (laughs) You know, that's how those guys are playing most of the time at that tour level. So, So yeah, I would just, I would just simplify it from an early, early age. That's what I would do differently. I think
1: that's perfect. Well, if people are interested in reaching out to you, uh, finding you on social media, uh, asking you more questions, using you as a swing coach, any of those types of things, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. the Best place to connect would be my Instagram page. So Patrick Grimes golf, uh, last name is G R I M E S Patrick Grimes golf, all one word that'd be the best place to find me. If you're in the area, want to do lessons, that would be great. And, um, I'll, uh, I'm looking to launch some online stuff at some point too. So hopefully if you're not in the area you can do mobile lessons that way too, at some point soon. Perfect. Be sure to give Patrick a
1: follow on his social media. And then also if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple podcasts, please quickly Leave us a rating and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And similarly, if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're looking for us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code.